clear, clear. Halfback bomb 32. Halfback bomb 32, right flag. Both of you out in front by a half. Both of you out in front by two. Twelve's gonna close back to you on the top. Still green, you took the white. Twelve closing to you quick, top. Twelve's gonna lock with you. Twelve's gonna lock with you, he's locked up with you. Clear when you get to him, clear when you get to him. Twelve is locked with you, he's off of you, off of you, off of you. Both of you clear, they watch you going to the outside. He's on the bottom, he's on the bottom. Eleven's gonna hook to a twelve, you're out in front of him by two. Watch them, you're going to the top, they're going towards the top, going towards the top, going towards the top, watch them going back to the bottom, back to the top, back to the top, back to the bottom, 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 back, back to the top, only to the top. Talk to me when you can, buddy. Okay. Welcome to the Making Laps Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Making Laps podcast. My name is Brent Gleason. Along with me by phone is our co-host, Phil Jakes. He's back home. He's, well, I say home for now, but it's home. How many times has it been home for you? You've been up here and then you went to Florida and then you came back and then you went to Florida or something like that. You kind of seesaw. Pretty much, yeah. A couple times. <laughs> so he's in Massachusetts, whatever. He's he's back up north. And I also have my wife sitting in with me, Megan McGorry Gleason. Hello. She, She'll be in studio uh, co-hosting the podcast because my brother couldn't be here today. Uh, he is tending to some business at home. So I don't really have a heck of a lot of other business to tend to except for I am making some, well, struggling progress trying to get the uh, sportsman car or street stock car, wherever you're from, uh, ready for Loudoun uh, in April 17th and 18th. Uh, I have got a lot of parts coming. I've got a lot of parts put into the car. We're trying to penny pinch as much as possible. And I'm really still looking for some sponsorship to help out, but I do anticipate making it to the race still. Uh, but again, progress is a little slow, but we're getting there. Uh, I will try to keep everybody updated. If you go and like the Gleason Bros Racing Facebook page, maybe I'll put some stuff up there. Or you can hit me up on Instagram, Brent Gleason 01, Twitter, Brent Gleason 01. I typically post a lot of stuff on there if anybody's interested in checking that out. Um, so why don't we get right into this week's episode? For lap number one this week, we're going to touch on why this podcast came out two days late, because the Daytona 500 was delayed and of the horrific accident that Ryan Newman suffered at the end of the Daytona 500. So we're going to touch on both of those topics for this lap. The Daytona 500 was scheduled to go off this Sunday, like usual, and... 20 i think it was 20 laps in it rained heavily like monsoon rain and so they postponed it to monday and from what i can recall geez every time i've ever seen the 500 on a monday which is extremely rare something really weird or strange or horrific in this case 
tends to happen. Um, wasn't the jet dryer incident on a Monday? Yes, it was. I be- yeah, I believe the jet dryer incident and the Austin Dillon crash were both on Mondays, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. I know the Dillon accident wasn't the 500, but it still was at Daytona. So Daytona on a Monday is something to avoid. And I know that the Dillon accident, wasn't that after midnight, so it technically was Monday? I, for some reason, I thought that race, that was the 500. I guess I'm mistaken on that. No, that was that was the the Pepsi 400. Dale, Dale uh, Jr. won that race. I remember that. But I know that it went off so late that I believe it was after midnight that he crashed. Or technically, it probably was a Monday, wasn't it? I think it was. I'd have to look into that, but... I didn't want to put this, well, I didn't want to record a podcast after the 500 because of what happened coming to the flag with Ryan Blaney and Ryan Newman getting together and Newman essentially hitting the front stretch wall or the trioval wall head on, flipping in the air, and Corey LaJoy having nowhere to go just creamed him in the roof of his car and sent him flipping down the front stretch and really, really ugly scene. I mean, for... I think it was at least two and a half hours. We had no word, no clue whatsoever on his condition. I absolutely refused to go to bed that night or last night as of recording without having any sort of word on his condition. I was almost prepared to stay up all night because I don't think I could have slept, you know, being a racer for 20 years and or plus and growing up around the sport. I is a genuine family environment and, and mindset so I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with like going to sleep, not knowing his condition. I know Phil, you probably felt the same way. You were, you were just glued to uh, any social media feed that you could find, pretty much the same as I was. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was sitting upstairs as soon as they cut off the air. I went upstairs to my desk where I work every day, and I uh, brought up Twitter, I brought up Jayski, I brought up NASCAR.com, and I just kind of sat and. I kept switching between them, refreshing. I was talking to you. We're talking to a couple different other people that I knew, just trying to see if there was anything trickling out and seeing, you know, what could be going on. And I was just like you, not going to bed until I knew what was going on. Yeah, I was. My wife was sitting right next to me on the couch watching it, and uh, she can attest to <laughs> uh, my emotions at the time. Because I think I was standing up watching the finish because I was I was actually kind of cheering on Blaney because I, I like the kid. And uh, I was kind of sick of seeing Denny Hamlin win these restrictor plate races. And I'm like, come on, you know, Blaney. Or, you know, I, I don't care if it was Blaney or Newman. I know Newman's, I think he's won the race at least once. So I wanted to see somebody new do it. But as soon as Newman got turned, I knew it wasn't going to be good. And uh, I've never actually seen you react like that to a crash. I've I've seen you watch a lot of crashes, but in that moment, you know, we were watching the cars wreck and all of a sudden you put both of your hands on your head and you were like, oh no, oh no, this is really bad. And, and I didn't quite see why at first I had to wait for the replays because I, I suppose I wasn't watching him wreck. I was watching the other two cars come to the line. So I didn't realize he'd been hit in the roof. I didn't even know who won. I wasn't even looking at it. I wasn't even paying attention. I was watching his car, and Phil was at Daytona for the incident that I'm going to reference, but it brought back all the memories I had of Jeff Bodine's wreck in the Truck Series race. And, yeah, Phil, you were there. Yeah, I was there for that one. That was uh, that was the first time I ever went to Daytona, and that was 
that was a tough one to watch. We were sitting in the De Palma section, which is right off of turn four. So we didn't have a great vantage point of it, but you could see everything just shredding off the truck. Yeah, that must have been a pretty interesting viewpoint. I mean, I, I sat and watched that race, and I saw his truck get hit while he was flipping, and I saw Newman's car get hit while he was flipping. And I know any time you have a vehicle in the air and it gets impacted at speed by somebody else, it's not going to be a good scene. But watching it and seeing the roof get hit, I knew it was going to be really bad because those are not, I would say... The roof of a car, no matter how strong you make it, is not going to be the strongest point of a car in terms of getting hit by another car. Like, you can you can get a car to absorb an impact front and rear or side or whatever, but when you get hit at, like, the underneath part of the car, like the soft underbelly of it, or if you get hit right in the roof, in my opinion, yeah, a car can roll, you know, 15, 20 times and still be okay with the way they build them. They overbuild the roof now, but it's just built to take that. It's not built for another 3,100-pound car to come, or however much they weigh, to come along at full speed and just cream it. But I know that safety's come a long way, and I was really hoping for the best, but it was really difficult to not think the worst because of prior experience watching racing and viewing accidents and being even at local short tracks and watching people die and see the uh, reaction of the safety crews around them. And um, although we couldn't really see the safety crew on TV, I know that everybody else was just like me and hoping for the best, but thinking the worst. I mean, I don't know what you guys felt, but that's kind of what I was thinking. Oh yeah. I thought he was dead for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got that same sinking feeling I got back in 2001 when, when Earnhardt crashed. It just, everything, just the wind came out of my sails. I, I was no longer excited about the race. I was, I was cheering for Newman because, I mean, he's not what he used to be as far as success. So seeing him up front and having a chance at winning the race, it was, you know, I like to cheer for kind of the underdog half the time. So um, it was, that was tough to watch. Yeah, and uh, it's easy to look back and think about it differently now. That's kind of like everything in life. But um, I t- I put something up on Twitter because I was sick of reading through endless Facebook pages and Twitter posts and other stuff where people were, you know, making memes or like, go oh, praying for Newman and um, and posting false stories of people performing CPR on him while they were uh, putting him on the stretcher. And, you know, I was just sick of all the the hearsay and, and lies and nonsense that I literally took to Twitter. And I said, if you want to see the worst in humanity, wait till tragedy strikes and see how people react. That's the truth right there. And it was, it, you know, it's a disturbing scene. It's sickening. I mean, we always talk and joke around on here with my brother about how social media is cancer and how it's a mistake and all this other stuff. But when you have situations like this, it kind of is, you know, back in 2001, when the 500 happened with Dale Earnhardt, we didn't know anything, but you know, we didn't have social media. So we just kind of said, okay, well, we'll just kind of hang out and wait to hear word. I'm sure they'll say something on the sports channel or RPM tonight or whatever show happened at that time. And, 
you know, eventually we did hear. But we didn't hear speculation. We didn't hear hearsay. We didn't hear horror stories. We didn't see people posting memes of Dale Earnhardt with wings on, you know, superimposed over the track and, and seeing all this other nonsense that people are posting trying to get attention to themselves instead of trying to actually comfort people and, and you know, create a much more positive um, scene for the rest of the fans or, or even try to comfort the family at all. You it's know, horrifying so, you know, they were doing that. Oh, yeah, you didn't see all that stuff? No. Oh, man, you got to see all the, the stuff I see well, online. Well, I'm not friends with, like, 500 racers either, so... <laughs> That's true. That's true. I know Phil probably saw a lot of that crap, too. Yeah, one thing I will say, though, is I... I was impressed by the reaction of the the professional media, like Bob Pockris, Matt Weaver, um, Nate Ryan, and Jenna Fryer, all of them, uh, just keeping people as informed as they needed to be, not putting anything out that didn't need to be out, and, and reminding people that this is a tough time for his family and to respect his privacy. The one thing that disappointed me is a lot of the local media in the Daytona area. I saw videos popping up because I follow a lot of that stuff because I go to Rolex and all that stuff down there. Yeah, it's in your interest I, level. I saw a number of guys posting videos. They were standing at the end of Pit Road as uh, Newman's team is walking towards them, and he's just going, is, is he awake? Is he is he okay? What's going on? Like trying to get the scoop, doing a video, and then posting it on Twitter, like, that's unnecessary. You don't need to be doing that. And you know what? I applaud. I've seen that video, and I applaud his crew for not talking to him. It's yeah, not absolutely. his. It's not his damn business. Yeah, you're part of the media, and it's, you have to report stories. But you know what? Wait an hour. You're not going to lose your career for it. You know what I mean? You can lose your career over over posting false stuff or saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know, there's so many. Yeah, I mean, Go ahead. I don't like to engage as much as I used to on Twitter. Uh, I try not to be a troll anymore, but uh, there was one particular post that I saw last night where a guy was going, oh, we need to know what's going on. We need to go. It's not going on. I was like, we don't need to know anything. We're not on, a, you know, we're not as important as Chrissy and his daughters and his team and his family. Like, we don't matter in the grand scheme of things here. We'll find out when NASCAR says it's okay for us to find out. Sit down, shut up, and relax. Yeah, I applaud, like you said, all of the media outlet members, like you had mentioned, all of them, all of them by name, who are uh, based around the sport. And you could almost copy and paste their responses. They're saying, look, don't go out trying to say things. Don't go out reporting false things. Don't do this. Look, we are in it right now. We are literally within the circle. If we hear anything, you will know. You could go check with all these other people within this circle. And when we hear about it, you'll know about it. And if you really want to know, go to the <clears throat> NASCAR Media Pass site, sit there with the video on, and wait. Yeah, with and that, that's exactly what I did. I sat there and I waited until Steve O'Donnell came out and made his announcement. Yeah, luckily I didn't wait around long. I actually sat and had that video on for about five minutes and watched them take microphones from four down to one. And I'm like, okay, well, they must be getting ready for something. I see people wandering around. So that's how I heard about it. And luckily, he had good news for us. It, it brings up a good point about pundits. And they like to point out that racing is dangerous and that they need to do something about how dangerous it is, but they never offer any sort of 
positive uh, ideas or feedback or anything. And it ends up being exactly the same and they just keep writing the same articles and they keep getting clicks on it. And it's absolutely useless because you're not reading anything of any genuine substance. Oh, the cars are too fast. Oh, these tracks are antiquated. They were built back in the fifties and sixties or whatever. And the, the speeds are too high. Cars keep flying and stuff. Like I said, they're not engineers. They're just writing articles so that they get clicks on their website so that they can talk about how dangerous racing is. And they can talk about how unnecessary some risk is, but they're not, adding anything of any sort of genuine substance in any way to the argument. Like I, I read a local article today that did exactly the same thing. And I'm just like, this did nothing. Yeah. And I, I saw a number of people and they weren't necessarily media outlets. There was, there was, I think one that was saying it, but there were a number of people that saying, Oh, you need to find a way to keep these cars on the ground, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it, it had nothing to do with the air at, at the angle of attack that he hit the wall, the absorption of the impact from the safer barrier, the car's rear end lifted up in the air. And as soon as that happened, it doesn't matter how many precautions you take, how many roof flaps and splitters and spoilers and airfoils or whatever you want to put on the car. As soon as you lift the car up from an impact and air gets under the car, if you're moving fast enough, it's going. People don't really understand the mechanics of speed. They, they don't really understand that air has genuine substance to it. And it was a great thing discussed or explained by James May on Top Gear back when they were still on that show. This was probably a decade ago. He says, air has genuine substance. Hold your hand out the window on the highway and feel resistance on it. Like I said, air has substance. You know, if you get going fast enough... Where's that air going to go? You could be doing 150, and if your car turns around, it could lift it up. I mean... Well, and the other thing is these cars are designed to go forward and stay on the ground, too. You you turn one around backwards, it turns into a lift uh, situation, into a wing almost, so... And the problem is, is these people aren't realizing that these cars get turned around at very high speeds nowadays, and they're not flipping over. What flips them over is another impact upsetting the dynamics of that car in motion and making it lift off the ground. Like, you remember Kyle Larson when he flipped over, uh, what was it, last year, early last year? Was it the 500 yep. last year? No, it wasn't. I it believe- was It was probably yeah, summer. Either that or the 400. It, might, it, was, it was one of the uh, super speedway races, but he got spun into the infield, and the only reason that car went over was because he had somebody on his nose that was like hooked together with them and it screwed up the dynamics of the car. It hoisted the right side of the car up and eventually packed enough air underneath it to lift it up off the ground. These cars are not, they're not flipping over because they get turned around. They're flipping over because they get hit by something. Austin Dillon didn't flip over because air, you know, because he spun out, he flipped over because he got hit and it upset the dynamics of his car. I mean, you can't plan for that. You could even look at uh, William Byron's spin and in, in inevitable crash earlier in the race, too. He got airborne crossing through the air, infield, and the car stayed planted on the ground. Yeah, the car jumped at least twice over the uh, ro- the uh, road course or access roads or whatever they are over there. I couldn't see what it was. But it, it hit those, and it jumped up a couple times, but because the flaps had come up and because they have the dump flaps on the front nose and they have everything else planted to the side of the ground, 
it never came up. It just slid and slid and slid until he basically hit the wall. I mean, yeah, 10 or 15 years ago, that would have been a blowover. Yeah, he probably would have got too much air under the car and packed it up and flipped it over. I mean, again, the pundits will always say, well, and I also made this point last night too on Twitter, which I said, racers in general are, I'm not quoting it word for word, but I said that they are the last of the gladiators. And watching last night, I don't know how you could prove any otherwise. And Stafford Speedway took that and they kind of changed the words around and and sold it as their own tweet, which I'm kind of mad about. <laughs> you know, guys, I know you're seeing my tweets and you could you could at least quote tweet me instead of stealing it. But hey, I'll give you a pass. But <laughs> but hey, self promotion's difficult. All right, it's really hard to to sell what I'm doing and what I'm saying as my own ideas. And if you're gonna swipe it, at least quote tweet the damn thing. Yes, yeah, Stafford. There's a thing called retweet. <laughs> you don't have to repackage it and steal it. Yeah. Anyway. They again, somebody else pointed out the idea that drivers are becoming like gladiators in these tracks or the arenas where they go out and fight the lions and stuff. But it's like racers sign up for this, they understand that there is danger, they understand that there is a risk. You can't mitigate every single stupid risk that there is in a racetrack, you can't do it. There's so much at play, and there's so much speed, and there's so much uh, physics involved, and there's so much, like, there's so many variables that if you think you can get rid of all the variables, then you're kind of lying to yourself, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the old school people who thinks that if you want quality racing, not everybody's going to be able to do it, because once everybody's able to do it, there's no real... Uh, drama you know what i mean if there's no element of danger then there then the excitement level goes down i mean yeah you can be excited by watching good racing but if there's no element of danger it adds it it kind of subtracts from the show in my mind i mean I, i'm sure phil doesn't fully agree with my mindset I, i'm not against safety look at what happened to ryan last night the safety in that car is what saved him he might live to race another day. And that's a horrific crash that I've, I mean, I've seen something that bad before where somebody walked away and I was surprised. It was Andy Farr back in the ARCA. Uh, I forget what year it was, 1980-something or 90-something. No, it was 94. Really? Yeah, Someone was, had a crash like that and lived? Oh, it was horrible. Go Everybody go YouTube Andy Farr Daytona, Andy F-A-R-R. And he walked away from that one. It was just nasty. But again, Phil, you probably like you probably disagree with me a little bit. But I mean, it's we're all talking on the same page here. Yeah, I mean, I I see people say that NASCAR has gotten too safe, and and I don't necessarily believe that's the case. I mean, there's still an inherent risk in, in what all of us do, really. I mean, it doesn't matter what level you're at. It doesn't matter if you're in a bomber or in a cup car. I mean, there's, there's still always a risk. And, and honestly, uh, you and I have both seen cup cars up close last year. We had the privilege of uh, hanging out with the Stuart Haas team uh, at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. I never wanted a car more in my life than watching those things. I'm like, oh, I got to have one. Oh, they're incredible. <laughs> but looking at the safety and the way the cage structure is built in those cars, 
I don't know that there's a whole lot more that they can do to prevent uh, anything from happening. I mean, the the roofs of those cars, of any car really, is always going to kind of be a safe uh, soft spot. I don't think that you can really add a whole lot more bars to that without preventing the driver from getting in the car. I think you could add a couple, but maybe it might have to go into something like tubing thickness to really see a little bit of a difference. I know we can't do stuff like chromoly tubing because they'll just shatter. But I think if you bump the tubing thickness level up a little bit, I mean, we can't go too crazy because then you're going to have people getting killed because the car doesn't crumple, you know what I mean? And they take the impact. So it's a really fine line to walk, and I'm not enough of an engineer to kind of walk down that line. I mean, I'm sure there's something else we could do. You know, there are bars in race cars. I think you you might have said this, but there are bars in cars that are named after people. Like the Newman's petty. got his own bar right across yeah. the windshield. It's the yeah. Newman bar. He's got a Newman He's bar. He's had a very similar wreck to this before. Yeah, and there's an Earnhardt bar. There's petty bars. Some, I think, I'm not sure if Phil said this, but somebody said it, and they said there's going to, the whole top of the race car pretty much is going to be called the Newman bar now. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, you could almost, I think the only thing you could probably attempt to do is, I know these cars have roof hatches, and I understand the thought process behind having a roof hatch, especially at uh, Super Speedway. But maybe instead of just the singular bar down the center front to rear, maybe include an X in the top of the chassis as well. Like instead of having like a crossbar from, do they have a crossbar on the roof from the right rear to the left front or something like that? Or do they have a straight one down the middle? Like I believe front to back. it's a straight one down the middle. I would, I've never actually looked up at the underside of the roof of one of those cars. I mean, we, we walked up to them and we looked around, but I don't think we ever looked up at the roof structure. Yeah. We'll have to call Murphy, <laughs> but you know, if you look inside like a rally car, they do have an X bar on the roof. It just kind of has a, a bit of a peak in the middle where the bar is bent up to conform to the roof structure. And those guys, they tear the hell out of those cars. I mean, they're not going 200 miles an hour, but they're hitting trees, you know, and those cars stay pretty well intact. I mean, I think you could do something like that. I think that would help out a lot. I'm not sure about the left side or the right side. Well, you don't have to worry about the the right side structure as much, but the left side structure, I think it, it would probably help out. And let's be fair and say, when was the last time you ever saw somebody come out of the roof hatch? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, uh, to have a roof hatch, you would almost have to like roll into a lake or if something. You roll like, on why the, would you really need it? If you roll on the left side door like Newman was last night and you're perfectly fine and conscious, but the car's on fire and you can't really get out the right side, mm-hmm. then the roof hatch really comes into play. Okay. You can You can pop your belts and blow right out the top of that hatch and land on the ground. So I like the idea. I, I wouldn't say get rid of it, but we. I think there's something they can probably do. I think there's room that they can improve on. I know they took both the cars back to the, um, I should say, they took uh, Newman's car and Corey LaJoy's car to the NASCAR R&D Center to take them apart and look at them, which is a smart move. NASCAR is really proactive when it comes to um, taking a look at cars that get in really horrific accidents and making sure that they can do something to make them better. You know, sitting here thinking, I think the last time I remember seeing a roof hatch be be used was, uh, when was the last Daytona 500 that Michael Waltrip won? 2000, I seem to remember. 2003. Yeah, I seem to remember him popping out of the roof hatch. 
Yeah, when when the rain came, he did like one donut in the infield and like popped the roof hatch and came out the top to celebrate. Yeah, I think that's what it was. <laughs> that's, that's the last time it was the used. Only time I've ever seen one used. Ask. Uh, I know someone else has at some point, but I don't remember who. Like I said, I don't think we could, I don't think we should get rid of it because it's a good idea if you're on your left side and you're on fire. It's a great way to get out of the car. It's a safe idea. But ask Brad Keselowski how much he likes those. Because <laughs> he had one come off in, it, like, what, lap two at Talladega or something last year, and it just completely ruined his race. Yeah, I saw we had a couple strange incidents this year with uh, someone's hood blew up completely, and a roof hatch also came off this year yeah, as well. Jeremy Clements, his hood completely exploded off his car. Like I don't know yeah, what just completely out of nowhere. I don't know what. Yeah, in the Xfinity race, I don't know what happened there, but either a, a hood pin broke or just something popped off, and the thing was just flapping, and it caught the air under the nose, and with the hood tethers, it just flew back and exploded on his windshield. I think it dented the roof of his car and everything. The thing just blew up. I'm like, that's a mess. But anyway, I know that there's uh, another certain element to danger, and it's kind of that racers can tend to be a little bit selfish in their pursuits of glory and greatness. But since I have my wife sitting here in the studio with me, I wanted to ask her opinion on what it's like to be a racer wife. Like, what's it like for you to understand that I willingly take on these types of risks? And it seems kind of silly, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know that it, I don't know. I think maybe more the financial risk is more silly. Um, the I physical agree. risk, we had a lot of talks about this, especially when we first started dating and I was very new to racing. And, um, and I had you pretty much run through all the different safety things that you did. And I had you show me like the worst wreck you had been in and, and other wrecks you had been in. It wasn't so much because I wanted to see you wreck. It was because I wanted to see what the car could take and you could still walk away. And um, when we went to the NASCAR Hall of Fame and we saw that... Uh, oh, they had the Rex yeah, exhibit. Yeah, they had the Rex exhibit. They had, and we saw, I think, Jeff Bodine's yeah, truck. Yeah, Jeff Bodine's yeah. truck was there. Mike Harmon's Bristol car was there. Uh, Phil Parsons' Daytona flip car was there. Michael McDowell's Texas car. And uh, I think I'm missing one more, but you you kind of get the gist of it. It's all the famous wrecks. And was I, it Michael Waltrip's Bristol wreck? No, his car wasn't there. Unless they I've left. I've seen that car. That was scary looking. Mike Harmon's car was largely similar, but a lot more intact. Like, if you have you ever seen the the Mike Harmon wreck at Bristol? He did literally the same thing. Yeah, I've seen his wreck. I've never actually been to the Hall of Fame, so I don't. I have. I'm not familiar with the uh, Rex exhibit. But there. I think that it was, was a temporary. Temp- exhibit it, yeah, it was too. a it was a temporary exhibit where they bring cars out on the floor below Glory Road, and they showed you like they they would they would have teams come out and bring their cars out, or they'd have the regional and weekly series champion cars out, and then they'd come up. It's just a rotating exhibit that's really temporary. They probably did it for like two weeks. Or a month or oh, something like that? I don't like know. That. They probably did it for more than that. Usually temporary exhibits run about 
like three months or so three to four months yeah but yeah so seeing that and, and seeing um jeff bodine's truck too you know you're, you're showing me this crumpled mess of metal and you're like look there's his seat and i'm like what the heck are you even looking at i can't even tell where his seat was and you're like it's right there it's right in front of your face he pretty much you know it was just a hoop yeah like, behind his head and that, and that was, was it. it that was it and he was fine he was conscious that night yeah so a couple little broken bones and a concussion and fine today otherwise so yeah so see if you that, can call it fine well you know, <laughs> pretty fine yeah, he, he made he made it out he lived he didn't it wasn't it wasn't a career-ending crash his career was kind of sliding towards the passenger seat anyway but but he could still get back in a race car oh, after right. he healed yeah he i think he even did yeah so um that taught me a lot about nascar safety and and it really took away a lot of my fear i think um i haven't seen you wreck too bad i've seen you get hit and bumped a few times but jesse's wreck in 2013 the one that finished off the old 81 oh that was a heavy hit that was a heavy heavy hit and i remember like i think it wasn't the day after but a few days after i happened to be home or something and i climbed into the race car just to have an idea of how things moved around and you know you could see the seat was bent and you could see how how everything in the car was just bent and crap and yeah the cars are supposed to bend around you yeah you know I mean? and um like we built that car pretty safe jesse just got the wind knocked out of him and he was all right and a broken foot but yeah well he hit the brake pedal it it just happens that's yeah. one of those injuries that just happens but it was one of those things it was really kind of harrowing to just kind of sit in there and been like you know this car was built to be really strong and withstand a crash like that and that says something for the people who built it and it was it was just really a, an interesting moment i think in, in thinking about safety for you and jess over the past you know eight years that was like the moment i kind of realized you know you guys really are still taking a risk as much as i try to put it out of my head or whatever i mean nobody gets in a race car and thinks okay i'm gonna go out there and die today it just happens sometimes yeah, and I, I made it a point to point out Phil Parsons' car when we were at the Hall of Fame. Because if you took a look at that car, they were running around Daytona with that thing. And, man, it had, like, less bars than my brother's street stock. And the roof was all, like, buckled in. And, like, you'd seen it, it rolled, like, 10-plus times over in turn one. And I'm like, holy crap, that's all the bars they had in this car? If you look at it, it's sparse. It's almost frighteningly sparse. And he got out of it. I mean, he was probably a little hurt, but Phil's still calling races today. So, again, if anybody wants to see what we're talking about on YouTube, like, go on YouTube and, and search all these things because they have all the videos for it. So, hey, Phil, you still alive? Phil, what about your yeah, worst wreck? <laughs> Which one? The icebreaker? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> were there any? Hey, were you, were you ever in any wrecks where you were worried about yourself? Worried you uh, weren't going to make it? Honestly, the only wreck that I've ever been in that has really like worried me was the icebreaker wreck in twenty seventeen, uh, twenty eighteen. I got turned sideways and I was at the bottom of the track, and I had a lot of time to think about how much this is not going to feel good. Yeah. I was gonna. I was thinking you were gonna mention the wreck that cannot be named. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. I don't remember that wreck. So, <laughs> go on. Well, that's YouTube. a good reason not to uh, bring it up. Then. Yeah, go, 
Go on YouTube. That no, that one from the first impact, I was out, so I don't remember oh. a whole lot of that one. Oh, it's like time travel. Perfect. What about you, dear? What about your your worst wreck? Were My you worst... ever worried about yourself? I was never, you know, I was never really worried about myself, but I just knew it was going to hurt. I mean, there was two of them that I can mention right now, and it's basically my first wreck, which I was in a car that was really inadequately built, and essentially I went out and stuffed it head on into the first or front stretch wall at Waterford, and obviously my seatbelt's held, so I was like, oh, I'm good, and then I got hit in the right side door, and when I got back to the pits, I saw that the right side door bars were six inches from my seat. So that woke me up towards safety quite a bit. And then, oh yeah, when people cheer, my asked uh, my uh, wife told me, or my wife just mentioned that when I got out of the car, people were cheering, and I said, "Why are you all cheering? You couldn't have been that bad." And people were like, "Yeah, that was really hard. That looked like it sucked." <laughs> When people cheer when you get out of a race car, you can tell it was a pretty hard hit. I've only had that happen a couple times. <laughs> I, I had that happen to me when I when I wrecked with Meg Fuller uh, coming off a of four at Thompson. I got out of the car, and, and I heard this. I mean, it wasn't a big crowd that night, but I could hear people cheering and clapping when I climbed out. And I didn't. I mean, I thought I was going over because I had the O2 of Mike Palin packed up underneath me so far that uh, there was yellow paint on my oil pan. Um, but just hearing that was like, wow, was it really that bad? And then seeing the video later, I was like, yeah, that that, that sucked a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the most hurt that I ever got in a car was probably the late model crash because I was um, racing someone else's car and it was pretty tight in there. And they didn't put a lot of padding on anything. And they'd actually taken and cut the seat down a little bit so that you could get in and out of the car a little bit easier. So there were still left side bolsters, but like it, it had been cut. So your arm would bang into it and it would kind of suck instead of it wrapping around your, your ribs more. So I hit the wall because I'd sent it in there a little too hard and wheel hopped and slapped the wall with the back end and then slapped the wall with the front end. So it was just kind of a one-two hit. And I get I get out of the car, and the next day I am covered in bruises. My knee is swollen up like a melon. My arm is swollen up like the size of a softball. I'm covered in, like, dark blue and black bruises all down the right side of my body. My inside of my left arm is all bruised up. My knee, um, my whole right side, my elbows. I mean, everything was bruised to hell. I mean, I was like, oh, man, we got to... We gotta pad these cars up better, man. Well, it hurts to crash. <laughs> you showed me that video, and I'm like, "What? That's it?" And then you were telling me all your injuries from it. I'm like, "God, that that doesn't look like that would be that bad." Well, from the angle of the video, it was way down in turn one. So when I went in, you were looking at me straight on, so you couldn't see like laterally how fast I was going. But it was pretty quick. Sorry, Moose. Yeah, those side slap hits probably hurt more than the head-on hits yeah especially when you're not expecting them and it just kind of like hits once and then catapults you in again and it's like wham wham and it just like throws your arms everywhere and it rips the wheel out of your hand and throws your arms somewhere else and yeah it, it sucks don't crash kids it hurts yeah i honestly i think you know a, a lot of racers are going to probably sit back after this and look at their cars and be like gee what can i 
what can I do to make my car a little safer safer after this? And I mean, you've seen how I build the inside of my cars. Everybody says it's overkill, but uh, I I I don't see anything being overkill. I have full containment seat, leg supports, knee knockers, door pads, roll bar padding, everything. That's to me. There's you can't put a price on your life, and safety should always be first and foremost. There's no such thing as overkill when it comes to safety. A good rule of thumb for any racer concerned with the safety of their race car is, make sh- number one, make sure your head can't hit any bars from where you're seated. Number two, take every single, uh, I'm thinking, uh, appendage or limb or whatever you've got, arms, legs, etc. <laughs> Don't listen to the etc. And move them around as much as you can in the cabin and see if you can hit something. And if you can hit something, pat it or make sure it's not sharp. Like if you have exposed sheet metal or sharp points or right angles or anything within your reach, either get rid of it, cover it up, or whatever. But that's just like the most basic stuff. Whatever you can reach, you can hit. And that's like that's just the most basic thing that you can do. And then there's other things like making sure your firewalls are, are sealed up and making sure that your window net is well designed and making sure your seat belts don't have any friction points and make sure that they're fastened properly and make sure that your fuel cell is uh, not a cheap piece of crap and it's up to date. So, like I said, local guys, they make up for the vast majority of injuries and deaths in racing because they don't take it as seriously as they should. And I think that we're starting to see a little bit of a uh, trend towards the safety aspect. I think people are starting to really kind of get it, but there's a lot of people who still don't. So go check your race cars. And uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, I made a post earlier today on my, my racing page. I sat down and I thought about it. And one of the things that I said was, instead of buying that fancy new rear end with all the lightweight parts, Buy yourself a nice full containment seat or buy yourself a, a, a bladder fuel cell or, you know, a Hans device or, or instead of a set of tires this week or going racing this week, maybe you skip a week. Buy yourself something to make you safer. Think about others around you, not just yourself, too. You know, it's it's kind of funny. When you race a long time, you wreck a lot. And when you wreck, you want to be able to get out of the car and not have any problems. That's the best feeling in the world. Like, I've wadded up race cars and stepped out of them and said, wow, that really sucked, and just walked away. Car's in a crumpled heap somewhere, and you need two wreckers to put it on your trailer, but you just kind of walk over to your cooler and grab a bottle of water and say, well, that's going to be expensive, instead of being on a stretcher going to a hospital somewhere. I mean, which one do you prefer? Getting out, dusting yourself off, and saying, that sucked, and drinking a beer in the parking lot, or going to the hospital and having to recover. I, I know I would rather live to race another week. Right. All right, let's hop over to lap number two. So for lap number two this week, we are going to keep the ball rolling in Daytona. We're going to recap everything that uh, or everything pertinent that happened at uh, Daytona Speed Week, starting with ARCA, and we're going to finish with, with uh, the Daytona 500. But the ARCA race was won by Michael Self, and he runs... Uh, does he run the Venturini car still? 
I believe that's who he's driving for. Was it the number 25 car? Yeah, the Sinclair car. Yeah, I believe that's who it is. Yep, and uh, we didn't know about it because Haley Deegan finished second. And since she's a woman driver, she got all the headlines. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Second no. is just the first loser. <laughs> what was it? Uh, how many starts has she made in the big ARCA series? I think this might have been her fifth. It's only a handful, right? Yeah, it hasn't been many. And don't I don't know who she's racing for because let's be honest, I haven't been paying attention and I didn't look it up. But um, GGR Crosley or Crosley or whatever it is. Oh, that's right. Didn't she? Yeah, she signed something with Crosley. Yeah, in a Ford. Okay, yeah, that's right. It was Monster. Which was the shock of the year. Yeah, I didn't expect her to go to Ford. Um, but anyway, I know I've been cracking jokes on women drivers and stuff, but it, it's nice to see her do well at Daytona because it brings more interest from the female side of the sport into a brighter light. Um, I just, you know, half of me says that it's a good thing and that we got to get more people interested and bring more women into the sport. Yeah, of course we need to bring everybody into the sport. We need a lot of people. We need anybody who wants to be a racing fan to become a racing fan. They need to become enamored with it. They need to see the mystique of it. They need to be interested and excited by it, you know, because it's really cool, especially if you go to a track and you stand there and you watch what these people do. And then the other half of me says, okay, well, let's wait and see what she does on other tracks. And I've seen her race in the ARC, or well, K&N East, but now it's ARC East series. And she's a hammer. Like, she really does not give a damn she will go after you and i appreciate that a lot she's aggressive almost too aggressive uh but if she reins it in i'm sure it'll become uh a real strong point for her but the equality side of me says okay yeah we do need to bring women into the sport but we really need to kind of give people we have to walk a fine line you know it's a really fine line we have to give people um attention based on merit you know yeah, Haley Deegan did great. She's a woman in the sport. She's bringing women into the sport. But Michael Self won. The guy won the race. But every single headline is Haley Deegan, Haley Deegan. I'm like, she finished second. She did great. But Michael Self still won the race. And you have to yeah. give you have to give the winner as much credit or more credit than who finishes second. And again, it's a it's a fine line to walk, but I'm sure I'll get some kind of crap for it. But I I still fully believe in rewarding people based on merit. I think it's kind of the Danica effect too. I mean, when Danica came in, it was the same thing. If she finished thirty fourth, it was oh Danica finished thirty fourth today. Who cares? You know, <laughs> if you sucked, you sucked. But if you did good, yeah, you want some some praise. But let's let's not forget the guy who won the race here. Can we be fair and say that there have been thousands of man of of men who have driven race cars who suck really bad? Uh, <laughs> I might be one of them. We all might be one of them at some point. But again, I'm not ragging on women drivers. I'm just saying let's reward based on merit. Second is good. Second is worthy of news. Second is fantastic. Um the problem, though, is if a man had finished second, there would be no article about it. You know, all the headlines wouldn't talk about the guy who finished second. They would talk about the guy who finished first. Um, Correct. 
in that regard, it, it's really, really tough. Like you said, it's, it's a fine line. And in coming from a woman, I'm probably going to get a lot of hate on what I just said. But... Those people's opinions don't matter because they don't watch racing anyway. Do you hear what you're saying about your listeners? Um, <laughs> Nobody's listening. No, it, it's one of those things. Like I remember to bring it to a local thing when Nicole Margillo won at Waterford, and that was a huge, huge thing. That was a huge thing because huge she thing. was she was the first woman to ever win an SK modified race. Right. Cripes. I don't know if it was anywhere or just Waterford. And she... It was a big deal, though. Right. It was a huge deal, and it was wonderful, and it was awesome. There was another woman that won that night, too, right? There was. There were two Victoria women Victoria Briganti. Victoria... Yeah, that's yes. it. Yes. Sorry, I got my two... I feel bad I, I don't remember her up. name. I don't even know if I was there that night or if I just didn't watched Victoria, it Didn't Victoria win first, though? Yeah, she yeah. won the SK Light yeah. race first. She won the SK... And, yeah. And, Nicole won the SK race. And it was absolutely huge, especially two women winning races. The first two women to win those types of races there, right? Yeah. So yeah. T- so technically, Victoria was the first to win an SK race then. But it was SK Light. <laughs> oh, so what's wrong with SK Lights? <laughs> no, but seriously, two in one night was amazing. Yeah, yeah. that's definitely noteworthy. But you know that what? was huge. And, and not only that, this year, Megan Fuller running for a championship at Thompson. I was definitely rooting for her. Sorry, Kyle. And Carol, Stafford. Even though... Even though we work with your mom Worked. at one point, we were, I was still rooting for Megan Fuller. Sorry. <laughs> and yes, because she was a woman and it would have been nice to see a woman win a championship. However, she was also racing at Stafford for a championship and she was pretty close up there, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, she, she actually, I believe she won the Triple Crown at Stafford as well. So, you know, it's newsworthy as in as much as, you know, finishing on the podium. That's great. You know, but don't let it overshadow because then yeah then then you get people angry and then people like oh well you know she's just a woman or whatever she's only getting the attention because she's a woman well you know they really should stop feeding into it so much you know a woman works really really hard to get to second and to get to first i see what you're saying i think you i think what you yeah what i'm gathering from that is that it could be detrimental because it's kind of belittling her efforts yeah okay yeah yeah, so, I'm 100% on board with that, too. I think if you don't give them special attention and give everybody attention based off of merit, then they might work even harder than they already are now because then they'll get that attention if right. they if they do exactly the same. You know what absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. And if she had won all the attention, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, pile it, it on. on. Pile it on. Yeah. That's a, an excellent achievement and second is an excellent achievement it's a podium finish that's great but we can't crap all over somebody who actually won just because he's not female that's that's not right either he worked hard to get to be number one yeah here's where jesse would say second is the first loser i just said that (laughs) i said that at the beginning of this oh sorry but that's okay because i've had some wine so keeping with that theme why don't we roll on into the truck series race where Grant Enfinger won the race. And I don't have any problem with Grant. I think he's a great driver. I think uh, he's um, he's really had to work hard to get to where he is, even if it's just a truck series ride. And he won it over, a f- geez, it was a great race with Jordan Anderson at the end. But again, a lot of the attention shifted from those two, which was a killer race and i loved seeing jordan anderson up front i was absolutely gutted that he didn't win that race it just came down to 
you know, whoever got the side draft at the right point, which was basically like 2007 with Harvick and Mark Martin, whoever got the side draft at the correct point and Harvick did it. But who finished in fifth? If you know this, I might judge you. Phil knows who finished in fifth. Actually, I don't remember who finished in fifth at this point. We're keeping on the theme of women here. Oh, we are? Yes, we are. I wasn't watching. I'm sorry. I didn't really sell it, I guess. No. So that'll be a big giveaway. I'm on my own island. Yeah, you are. Natalie Decker finished fifth in that race. A blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. You said it, and I said it too. Yes, a blind squirrel definitely found a nut. But I'm I'm happy she didn't tear another car up. <laughs> oh, is she the one that, like... So is her father's wallet. Hey, her father's wallet got a reprieve. Is she the one that got yelled at for... The one who got spun out by the push truck? Yeah. And also got yelled at by the yeah. spotter who quit on the spot? Is that her? Yes. Oh, my. Oh, that's really bad if I don't even know her name, but I know that about her. Yeah, when you know incidents <laughs> and not names, that's not good. That's really bad. I she, mean, She had a wreck counter going on Twitter last year. It became so bad. Doesn't, what was it? it doesn't was, Danica have a wreck counter, too? She's not racing anymore. I know she's not, but didn't she ever? <laughs> oh, God, she, she went through some wrecks in NFL players' lives. Um, but anyway... What was it? Twenty-one incidents in fifteen races last year. Something or eighteen. Like I forget. That insane. girl is on a mission to prove something, but I don't know what. I mean, this isn't this isn't the let's bash Natalie podcast, but I mean, again, I'm trying to continue on the theme of giving credit where it's due. Grant Enfinger won that race, and almost immediately before, I don't even know if they took his interview in Victory Lane before they had a microphone. In Natalie Decker's face, and she's not a very good interview. Did only five cars finish? No, no, this wasn't the Bush crash. Oh God, that was a horrible race. <laughs> and yes, yeah, no, she... only five cars finished that race. I think. Oh dear. I wanted to see. I'm glad I got to see the genuine emotion come out of Jordan Anderson because he has built that team. Out of absolutely nothing, literally what by himself, and he had a basically he had a dream and a good solid work ethic, and he buys used trucks and you know used parts and you know rents a shop and he builds this thing out of absolutely nothing. Goes out and finally through all this hard work and effort through number of years, goes out and finishes second at Daytona in a photo finish. And man, what an awesome day for him and his team and his crew. Not to have to rebuild a car. And great for Grant Enfinger. I'm glad for him because he's not... I'm not going to say he's the biggest like winner on that series. Like He doesn't go out and just rattle off wins left and right. But he's a good, solid race car driver. And he is very good at what he does. He doesn't tear stuff up. He doesn't make stupid mistakes all the time. But again, when you stick a microphone in fifth place's face before you even talk to like the podium finishers, I mean, reward based on merit. Yeah. She finished a race for once. Yeah. She finished in fifth. She got a great finish. I'm glad. I'm glad that team's got started on the right foot. Maybe this will be a turning point. Maybe this will help her move forward in her career and really mature as a driver. Maybe humble, maybe settle her in. I don't know. But 
again, reward based off merit. It should be interviews in order. You know what I mean? From Absolutely. The, from if the top they, down. If they don't interview fifth first all the time, then they shouldn't interview fifth first just because she's a woman. I don't think they interviewed her first, per se. They might have got Jordan first. But they sure as hell didn't interview third or fourth first. <laughs> Feels awfully quiet over there. I had the phone on mute and didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long 24 hours. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, geez. Sitting up all night waiting for word on Ryan Newman and then trying to record a podcast the next day. <laughs> I'm just glad I'm still able to function at this point. But anyway, um, let's get off the train of, of reward based on merit because I think we can finally end that with the Xfinity Series race and winner Noah Gregson, who's driving for Junior Motorsports. Last year, I don't think he won a race, did he? No, I, I don't think he's won. And I think this was his first career Xfinity uh, win, wasn't it? I believe he's won some truck races, but not in Xfinity yet. Yeah, he won. He won K and N races. He won truck races, I believe. But no, he hasn't been in very long. It's only been a year or so, right? Yeah, last year was his first year with uh, Junior Motorsports. Oh, well, I mean that is a transitional period. I mean, coming from trucks, where you got a big spoiler and a lot of dirty air and big side force on those on those vehicles, and going to the Xfinity series, where guys are actually starting to say that they're more difficult to drive than the Cup cars with the giant spoilers are. That's a big transition. So for him to to come out and start the season right with uh, with a win was amazing. And if you, nobody really knows who Noah Grayson is, you got to look him up because this is one of the budding personalities that we have in the sport. And I hear a lot of people saying, oh, well, he's got to kind of tone it back and be more professional. No, 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 no. Not he needs to be himself. This kid is hilarious. Now he's a isn't he a snowball derby winner? Yeah, yes he uh, he won the snowball derby two years ago, and famously tried to kiss the uh, the trophy queen and she pushed him away. Oh dear, friend zone. <laughs> I think he yeah I mean the kids he's a riot you know he is really funny he won that truck race at Martinsville which no one will ever let him live down because he. He did his typical 10-minute-long uh, celebration and climbed the fence, and when he jumped back down, I think he puked. Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions is, did he throw up at Daytona? No, he did not. I know he, uh, I think he did a huge burnout until he wrecked, uh, wrecked the right rear tire and started a fire on the front stretch with the rubber and got out, and I think he celebrated with his crew by climbing the fence Yep, and then got back down and fanned the flames of the fire like it was a campfire. Took his helmet off, reached in his car, grabbed his water bottle, walked back up to the fence, took three attempts at throwing it over the fence to the fans, and then ran up and down the front stretch with his arms in the air, pumping fists and screaming. Like he <laughs> he was amped to win that race, and I'm, I'm like, hey. I'm not going to blame you. They can get interviews done while you're celebrating. <laughs> we need that in the it's sport, like, too. It's like, we can get to you. You go celebrate. I don't care. You do your thing. And he's also a really killer interview. Super comfortable in front of the camera. Really personable. Um, just one of the uh, 
personalities that we really need in this sport right now. And I appreciate that guy a lot. I think he's got a bright future if he can drive as much as he can celebrate. Yeah, I I like the kid. I don't know a lot about his background or where he came from. Uh, I assume like most of the young kids coming up these days, he probably did some super late model racing. Obviously, he did the snowball derby. Uh, but I, I assume he did a bunch of super late model racing, and that's how he got his his gig with Kyle Busch. Uh, but I don't. Other than that, I don't know a whole lot about him. But he's he's definitely a personality. I love to watch him race. He was my pick to win on Saturday, and uh, you know I'm a Harvick fan. I have been since 2001 because I was an Earnhardt fan. And when when Harvick retires, I'm probably going to be a Gregson fan full time. <laughs> He's a he's a really interesting character. I like watching him race. So we can jump into now Sunday, Daytona 500. And it began with a whole lot of pomp and circumstance because it was, what, a last-minute deal that the president was going to show up, right? It, it was like uh, within one week of the race or something. And I forget the yeah. exact reason why, but... I mean, let's be fair. It, it was a political stunt. Everybody's going to start chirping about that but at the same time uh it was a great thing it was it's really cool to see yeah i mean ronald reagan did it for richard petty's 200th win in in you know the july race in 1984 both bushes right so what's different about Donald Trump doing it? The only difference absolutely. is more the only difference is more people hate Donald Trump. My dad, who absolutely hates Trump, right, said he was surprised that Bill Clinton never went to the Daytona 500. Yeah, Slick Willie. That's pretty much all he had to say about that today. Slick Willie should have come. He would have had a great time. Exactly. There's a Where lot of lot lizards in the pit area he could have had some fun with. <laughs> oh boy. Holler crawlers. Holler crawlers? I call them fence hangers. yeah i mean it it was such a cool thing to see and i had a couple friends that were at the race that were sending me a bunch of pictures and it was incredible to see the security that had uh come in and there was snipers on the roof it was interesting to see that aspect of it as well yeah i mean if obama had done it and i'm not an obama fan at all but if he'd done it i've been like wow that's really cool you know that's really cool I i would love to see any sitting u.s president i don't give a damn who it is Come to the race. I want to see you, you know, experience it. I want to see you bring a lot of attention to it. Yeah, I want you to come. You know, I don't care who you are. I want you to be there. Even if you're, think, you know, a senator or a budding politician or whatever, if you're up for re-election like Trump is, of course you're going to go see and visit your voter base. The Daytona 500 is a killer event. He's been there before, before he was a president. He was there in 2001. Yeah, I think he said right, he's been right. there like five times. Yeah. But, um... No, it's a really smart thing for him to to do because uh, NASCAR is undeniably American. It started here. It, it it's mostly here. You know, there's some races in Canada or whatever, but it's there's all there's Euro here. NASCAR now, right? And, exactly. You know, yeah, Euro it's, NASCAR. It's, but it's lightly it branched out here, right? And you know, NASCAR did. You know, Brian France did announce his support for Trump when he was during his first election campaign in 2016, and. I think, you know, it's just a little bit of payback. He's like, you guys supported me. I'm going to support you. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of attention to your, you know, biggest sport of the year. And that's cool. Fine. That's, I don't care. You know? To me, I think the coolest thing about the whole thing, though, was the lengths uh, to which he went as far as taking the beast out on the track, uh, <laughs> pacing the field, and 
talking on the official radios to the drivers and taking the time to meet the drivers too individually uh each one of them uh, i know they were all posting pictures on their their individual social media accounts uh and, and making posts about it yeah i mean if you're gonna do it take it all in enjoy it don't just show up and wave and make a speech and and then just hop on the jet and leave go hang out with people go sign you know photographs or you know take pictures with folks or and helmets and yeah Haley deegan's helmet got signed that was yeah. a really cool story um but take it all in he's he's like i want to go out on the track i want to pace laps and they're like do it and think of the thrill that his limo driver got Right. You know what I mean? The beast driver. He's probably just bored out of his mind. He's like, okay, I got to take him somewhere here and I got to go there and I got to, you know, security, security, function, this function. He got to drive out on Daytona. That's cool. You know, that's, I that's a cool. I it up on the banking, but I don't think all 22,000 pounds of that thing would have stayed up there very well. No, they had to go a lot faster to keep that thing on. So he did the right thing. <laughs> but that's really awesome. I think it's cool. You know, any attention is good attention. Well, it was all good attention. But anyway, getting into the race. Oh, you can go ahead. You got one point? Yeah, I was going to say that the only thing that really disappointed me was a couple of people on uh, social media that I saw that were just itching to find a reason to downplay it or to talk crap. And, and one specific person that uh, I know was saying, uh, you know, hey, he didn't stay for the race. Why didn't he stay for the race? And I'm like, you don't know what his schedule is. You know, you're not the president of the United States. You don't know how crazy his day is. So, you know, he was going to stay. He was in the Victory Lane clubhouse above Victory Lane there. Uh, and when the rains came, he did bail. But I don't really think that's a big deal. I don't I don't think that's a problem. I mean, we didn't even stay. <laughs> we went to New Hampshire last year. And... We had hot passes. We were literally standing with the pit crews on pit road. We were sitting on top of the pit box. What are you we talking were, yeah, about? Yeah, we were sitting on top. Of, well, not the whole time. I mean, I mean, we're we're sitting in Eric Amarola's pit box, watching them do pit stops and stuff, and with with the pit, you know, the crew chief and stuff. We didn't even stay the whole race. <laughs> it was really hot. We were used up. I mean, we'd been there all day, standing up in ninety five degree weather. I mean. You, and we don't even have anything on our plate. You think the president's going to hang around when he's got a full plate of stuff every single damn day of the week? No. You know, I don't blame him one bit. I, I don't really, I don't care. I really Doesn't matter. I agree. Like I don't I am not a huge Trump fan, let's put it that way. But I really don't agree with people saying, "Oh, I'm not going to watch the Daytona 500 cuz he's there and all this stuff." And I'm like, "Oh, come on now." BS. They were going to watch they they were either going to watch anyway and lie about it to be virtuous. Or they weren't going to watch it to begin with. Right. It's like all these people complaining about how much it pollutes. You're not watching anyway. Who gives it's a like damn Trump about your has opinion? Nothing to do with with NASCAR. So why are you going to let that you know, influence whether you watch it or not? Like either you weren't going to watch it anyway, or which probably. Here's the thing. Imagine your least favorite actor had a new movie coming out and he got picked to be the Grand Marshal of the Daytona 500. Were you going to watch that race anyway or not tune in because you hate the guy's guts? I'd watch Doesn't matter to me. I'd be watching yeah. it. I'd yeah, watch I don't race. give a damn who the Grand Marshal is. I don't care about pre-race. I want to watch the race. I don't give a damn. <laughs> Shut up. We all know you're either going to watch or, or you don't watch to begin with anyway. So yeah, no, right. one, no one cares about your, you know... <laughs> Uh, virtue signaling opinion okay 
anyway, well, get, and a lot a lot of the people that say that they don't watch, they still go and look on su- on Sunday evening or on Monday morning to see who won. So yeah. To be fair, until we started dating, I did not ever watch it. Although I did know the day that Earnhardt died and like you were talking about social media and all that stuff and there was no social media back then but there were like stupid little local forums that we could be a part of and around here all the high schools were a part of one and I did find out about his death from that forum. Now that was 19 years ago today, wasn't it? It was. February today. February 18th. Really? Yes. Oh, Nin- wow. 19 years ago today. Yeah. Do it for Dale. So anyway, getting into the race, I think uh, it only made it like 20 laps before the rains came. I think it sprinkled once, and then they tried to get it you know, ready, and then it sprinkled the backstretch, and then they still tried, and then the absolute downpour hit, and it, it just like Noah's Ark flooded everybody out, and everybody was soaked, and they were all trying to dry their stuff out the next day, and I heard it was a real nightmare to be camped out down there. <laughs> But um, so eventually it restarted at four o'clock on Monday. Well, late afternoon, early evening. William Byron's spin, which I forget which lap that was on, and he nosed it in the wall and kind of ended his night. And then it kind of strung out, didn't it? I don't really recall a heck of a lot really happening until it got later on into the race, where probably about ah, geez, I can't remember, like twenty or so to go, didn't it? Yeah, the first two stages were pretty quiet. There was some good racing. Uh, a lot of guys just kind of testing the water, seeing what their cars could do, seeing what was going on. But uh, it, otherwise, it was fairly quiet. There was a couple times where they got all strung out on the high side, all 39 cars that were still on the track at the time. And, um, I actually, that, that kind of racing, a lot of people complain about just the, the choo-choo effect. But I think it's kind of interesting to watch and to see what the strategy is of those guys just riding that high line and waiting to see who's going to test the waters and jump out of line. And it didn't take long. I think they ran that way for about 10 laps. And, and I don't remember who it was, but someone jumped down to the low line and they were back double file 15 rows deep. Yeah. And, uh, as the race wore on, we started seeing them start to bunch up even more, and strategy started coming back and falling out of the window, basically. If you were running in the back all day, you started making your way up front. The pack started to reline again, and I, again, I I wasn't really taking notes or paying attention, but it was getting later in the race when Joey Logano pushed, what was it, uh, Almarola? Almarola pushed him a little hard uh, and didn't get off of him and shoved him right into Keselowski and I'm, I'm sure uh, Mr. Brad, especially after the uh, the incident at the clash, I'm sure uh, Brad was none too pleased with uh, Joey. Yeah, I, I could imagine. I mean, if you're spotting and you see a guy basically freight training in a car straight up and there's nowhere to go, you got to kind of tell him, hey, you, you might want to back off here. But, I mean, he might have told him, but they, I don't know. It Again, we can't speculate. But that set off the first real major accident. It took out a lot of good cars. I think it ended Jimmy Johnson's last Daytona 500. After that, I think it strung out again until, uh, what, Ryan Priest made it up to third at some point, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was in third. Yeah, he, he made a lot of really quality moves right at the right times, and he was able to get himself in a good line and move up. Um, he, and he just, 
unfortunately a victim of circumstance he got kind of shuffled out with i think it was probably 15 to go or so uh he got shuffled out of line a little bit and was on the inside line and what was it uh ross chastain just made a bonsai move and cleaned him out yeah he had a big head of steam but he was all by himself ryan poked out and got around a couple cars and tucked back in and Ross had a big run coming from the bottom, and he ducked to the bottom, and there was one lane there, but by the time he got there, it wasn't there anymore. And I know those two made contact, and it ended both of their nights and a bunch of other cars' nights, and I think at the same time, what was it? Uh, was that the red flag? There was a couple red flags. Yeah. Was that the first one? <laughs> I don't remember. I think, I think there was. were a few of them. <laughs> but it, was, that the, was that the caution where Kyle Busch lost the engine as well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that was the one where Kyle lost or started to lose the motor, and then he ran under caution for, what, five more laps afterwards, and they they played an in-car, and it sounded like someone threw a bunch of rocks inside his motor. It was terrible. Oh, man, that thing was smoking out the pipes bad, but I know that their strategy was, hey, see if you can get that pile running again so you can make a couple laps and we can pass up a couple more cars and see if we can gain a few points, but... Uh, let's see. Getting down at the end. Boy, it got shuffled up a lot. I was looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, Denny used Ryan Newman and hooked onto him and then was able to do the old style slingshot around him. And, uh, it, it basically told everybody else, Hey, this is what's going to work. And I think he kind of showed his hand a little early and, oh, absolutely. Uh, and Newman ended up doing the same thing to him on the backstretch. And he had some help from Blaney on the last lap. And I know they both got around Hamlin and Blaney and Newman were essentially fighting it out in the draft until it was just a bad bump. And you you watch the replay and Blaney's car never really moves left or right too much. It was just kind of a, a bump that didn't really line up. And that's, yeah, it, that, that was to me what it just looked like he just hit him the wrong way. Yeah, he didn't mean to hook him. I mean, it wasn't uh, Austin Dillon and Eric Almarola on the backstretch. <laughs> oh, that was... We won't talk about that when I got my opinions. Yeah, we're, we won't dive into that. But, you know, when you're bumper to bumper, I mean, it's really hard to wreck somebody unless you're at one of these tracks. I mean, if he was at an intermediate track, it would have just been a bump and he would have kept moving. But it, it was just enough to turn him and... We all know the rest. We spent about 45 minutes talking about it before. So, <laughs> But Hamlin, I didn't even know that he'd won. I thought that the caution had come out, or I thought that Blaney had actually I crossed the Blaney line had, first. And... I thought Blaney had, but I, I think I stopped watching the two of them when I realized what was going on. Yeah, I, I didn't even watch. Like I don't even think the camera that was actually fixed on the leaders followed the leaders to the line. If you watch, no. the, if you watch the replay of the race it as it aired... That camera didn't even cover the leaders to the line. It was actually yeah, focused that, on Newman. Yeah, that was they followed Ryan all the way until he stopped. Yeah, it was a it was one no cut uh, shot, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, and I I mean I kind of I applaud the camera guy for sticking with that, but at the same time, I I, I can't watch that. I see a lot of people posting the replays. I can't watch that anymore. Yeah, it hurts to watch, but. I know there were some people posting like screenshots of their uh, TVs and it would show it showed Blaney in the lead 
and it showed the little caution icon in the corner of the screen. Right. And I'm like, why are you posting that when you can literally see on your screen that there's a green light on underneath the flag stand? Yeah, there was uh, (laughs) Freddie Kraft, who's Bubba Wallace's uh, spotter, posted that earlier today, too. And he was like, stop spreading conspiracy theories. It's not worth it. And, and he posted the two pictures, and he's like, the green light is still on as Denny Hamlin crosses the line. Yeah, I watched the replay, and I'm like, yeah, caution lights are not on. Denny Hamlin won that race fair and square. I think people rely too heavily on, on the TV graphics these days, too. I mean, the, the, the coverage of these races has gotten so good. Uh, I think people take for granted, uh, or not take for granted, but put too much stock in, in what TV shows and they don't stop to think that NASCAR control and the TV are not linked up. No, it's all human error. If it's, if it comes on before the green flag is well pulled away, you know what I mean? Right. And I think it was a knee jerk reaction too by, by Fox to show that caution up in the left top left corner of the screen when they did i think they should have just left it alone yeah graph, graphics guy they, got a graphics guy got a little bit of uh trigger happy fire yeah absolutely <laughs> so i think that pretty much completes our recap of daytona from the big four series um you guys got anything else because we're gonna move into new Smyrna real quick because this podcast is gonna be long <laughs> i was rooting for priests Oh, God, we all were. Oh, I was so (laughs) upset when he got taken out. I was so mad. I do kind of want to say that I may be on an island here, but I think it's time we get rid of the duels and we get rid of the clash. They're not doing anything for anybody. I'll meet you in the middle. Let's get rid of the duels, but let's make the clash a 20 to 25 lap race, and that's it. I don't understand segment races. They're still going to senselessly wreck a, wreck a ton of cars, though. Yeah. Uh, let's put a Legends Oval on the front stretch and let them go hammer it out on there or put bomber cars out there and let them go beat the crap out of each other. See, that would be cool. Take the guys from New Smyrna <laughs> Ooh, I got a better run idea. on the infield of Daytona for a day. I got a better idea. Let's rename it the Bush Clash. Uh, the Or let's rename the Bush Clash the Bush Crash and let's just have a demo derby. Let's get junker cars, and whoever's the last one wins the bush crash. Oh my god! Can you imagine how awesome that would be? With oh, like those guys would be so driving, sore. Driving um, demo just cars. Just put Ricky yeah. Stenhouse out there with a bunch of other guys and let him take care of it. Give him the rammer. Make him the bogey. He, he already is. <laughs> Poor Ricky. Oh, anyway, let's let's recap uh, New Smyrna in round three. For lap number three this week, we're going to recap all of the results from the New Smyrna uh, at World Series. I got to get this right every single time. I don't write it down. World Series of Asphalt Stock Car Racing. Yes, Damn. you got it. I got to write it down, man, because that's a, that's a mouthful. <laughs> but again, it was nine nights. I don't think they really ran into any major weather issues for once this year. Uh, the cover- Not, this was the first year in a while they had no rain. Yeah, the coverage was actually really good. Um, we didn't have any dropouts or bad spots. Um, I liked it. It was really good. Um, it was worth the money. Uh, for night number one, 
They had, for super late model winners, Sammy Smith won. I believe he's running the Kyle Busch Motorsports car. Uh, Florida Mods, Travis Eddy won. Pro late models, Nicholas Noggle. And then uh, the Sportsman's for their first race, Earl Beckner uh, pulled down that win. Is that Earl Beckner Jr. or is it Earl Beckner? Because I don't know why I keep thinking that. Uh, you know, honestly, he's the, he's the old man to me. I, I don't know. I don't know him, so I believe it's Junior, but I'm not sure. That's like if you want to piss off Ryan Truex, call him Ryan Truex Junior. <laughs> oh, Wait, there's a Ryan Truex? Yeah, it's his brother, Martin's brother. She's giving me the blank stare. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, for night number two, uh, super late models Jesse Love won. Uh, Florida mods Travis Eddy again. Pro late models Jet Nolan, and for the Wheelman Sportsman Series race number two, which was that the points race or was that like are they both points races? The night number one was just kind of an exhibition New Smyrna Sportsman race. Night number two was actually the Wheelman or the Brandon Ford Wheelman Sportsman Series. Um, that was uh, the first race of their season. Okay, and Jesse Henley won that race after. Uh, was it Beckner got DQ'd, correct? And I believe that was also the night you guys got tossed for the spring as well. Yeah, let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Earl got, he got DQ'd for uh, being light uh, post-race. Um, a lot of the tracks down south give a fuel burn-off, uh, but the Sportsman Series, at least to my knowledge, uh, in, in reading and trying to understand their rules now that I have a car, uh, for that series, um, they do not give a fuel burn off allowance, uh, so that's that's where he got hit. Yeah, it, it, I I don't mind a, a minimum weight rule, just sol- just a solid rule set in stone. Basically, just make your car that weight and then add fuel. That's usually what I do. I don't play games. Um, but yeah, um, was that his regular car, and he raced the backup car the night before or something like that? I honestly, I don't remember. Did he run two green cars? Yeah. Then it was the same car, because he has a red car as well that Jason Vale raced last year uh, on the Sportsman's Wheelman Series. Oh, okay. Um, And I know I saw that car at one point during the weekend, but I'm not sure what happened to it. Jason didn't run the Wheelman race. He had his own car there that weekend. So um, I think... Earl pretty much just brought that as a backup. Oh, okay. Yeah, he must have just run it, uh, both the green cars then. So for night number three, super late models, Brad May was the winner. Uh, Florida mods, Travis Eddy won again. That was three in a row. Pro late models went to Geo Selzy. So for night number four was the the Arca East series race mixed with the tour mods uh, first race. And... uh, Sam Mayer won, but the big story really was Derek Griffith. Uh, and or Derek Griffith, I'm sorry. Um, Northeast racer. First K was it his first K and N series start? Arca East? Yeah, what the whatever who cares? Whatever it is. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> he led the majority of the race and he He set he fast only, time as well. Yeah, he screwed himself though, unfortunately, just to a simple rookie mistake. He pulled up to pit, and in uh, that series, that's not allowed, unlike the super late models. So, 
Uh, he had to do a second pass-through penalty into the pit area where he decided to just take four tires. And he had a pretty good chance to come back through the field, and he got back up to uh, the bumper of the eventual winner there, Sam Mayer, and uh, just couldn't pull it off. Yeah, he just ran out of time. I mean, he had the car and he had the talent. He just just a, just one silly mistake and just ran out of time. But it was a really awesome run. I hope he gets to do it again very soon. Uh, Tour Mods took to the track for their first race, and Anthony Nocella won that event. And we were discussing this earlier. Um, that's not what people think it is, that car. That car is not what people think. I know that there's a lot of people who think that they can tell the chassis manufacturer by looking at the sidebars. And I like doing that too, but his holds a little bit of a secret. And Phil, you can probably fill us in on that. That's uh, to my knowledge. And from what I've been told, that's kind of an experimental raceworks chassis, something new that uh, they're working on. Um, and uh, apparently it works because that car was an absolute rocket ship all week. Yeah, whatever whatever Eddie's doing up at Raceworks, man, that thing was moving. And I know that you said something about them using the LFR Fury-style sidebars to make it a little bit easier for people to pick them up if they need them. And, I mean, I don't have any problem with that. Sidebars are sidebars in my mind. You know, nerfs. They're, they're all whatever. Cheating. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, that, that whatever they're doing, that car is moving. And he showed it this week. Uh, as you'll probably see later on. Uh, night number five, Super Late Models. Derek Griffith, after that awesome run in the Arca East Series race the night before, picked up the win in Tour Mods, uh, one of their short features. Craig Lutz, I believe he pulled the bump and run to get around, uh, was it Nocella or was it the Hirschman car? Or both uh, I believe it was Nocella. I can't remember exactly on that night. I That was my first night getting back home and, trying to watch on my phone and it was uh i was running around trying to get things settled <laughs> yeah i could tell it's, travel sucks especially when you're gone for however long you were gone for uh so anyway uh florida modifieds timmy moore broke travis eddie's streak of wins but travis eddie i think finished second that night anyway so the points was still well heavily uh favor in his favor uh, and Pro Late Models ended the night, and Jamie Skinner uh, picked up the win in that race. I forget which race it was that he and Jet Noland had the run-in. It might have been on night three. But that whole situation was pretty ugly. But luckily, cooler heads prevailed. I saw both the teams talking on pit road. Rather heated, but nothing, nothing too outrageous. But it was just... A strong debate essentially and uh i'm glad they put it behind them very quickly uh for night yeah go ahead i was gonna say that that incident to me and i'll probably catch some flack for this but that's that's why young kids don't belong in super late models he's not mature enough to to be able to do that stuff and how old is he i i'm not exactly sure how old he is i think he's 15 or 16 but he that's it? I think his voice still cracks. Good gravy. Oh, wow. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, humbling is, is part of racing, and you're going to get humbled a lot. So hopefully he picks up a few lessons from it, and hopefully nobody has to um, really run into these types of problems again. I mean, it's it's tough when you're racing sometimes, but, I mean, you know, it's all a part of learning. So 
Anyway, for night number six in the super late model, Stephen Nasty shows up and wins. Uh, he wasn't there, I don't think, all week, really. Um, the tour modified race went to the John Blue at the third Memorial 76 race, and that was probably the race of the year, uh, all things considered. I know it's early in the year, and the year's really just starting, but man, I don't know how you could how you could top that. Nocella and Matt Hirschman door-to-door for lap after lap after lap at the end of the race. They don't touch each other. They don't run each other all over the racetrack. They raced each other clean. They raced each other hard, and it came down to literally a photo finish, and they gave it to Anthony Nocella at the end. I know there's a lot of opinions floating around about who could have won and, you know, this and that, and, oh, look at this picture, look at that picture, but the officials made a decision. You stick with it, and you just kind of move on. At, At the end of the day, too, I mean, a lot of people could take and look at that race, and that's how racing should be. Not yeah. bouncing off of each other, banging doors. That's bullshit. That's not racing. They're a lot but better. What two did was that was a perfect display of how two men should race each other. And I know a lot of people wanted to take to uh, social media and say, well, that's what modified racing is all about. That's what the, you know, this is every week we, we see this and I'm like, don't. Don't say that because if you come up north and you watch Modified Racing Weekly, you're going to see the sausage get made. Don't watch the sausage get made if you like eating sausage. (laughs) (laughs) Take that race as it was and just leave it at that as an example for everybody to follow, okay? Let's not watch the sausage get made here. Scarred for life. Yep. In the Florida Modifieds after that, Bill Burba won, who was a surprise winner. Um for some reason, I think he he owns Trav. Uh, was it Travis Braden who won the Snowball Derby this year? Yeah, I think his team won, uh, owns that car as well. Bill Berber was a good story because that car is grossly underpowered compared to the likes of Travis Eddy and Wayne Parker and all those guys that are that are regular front runners in that division at that track and on World Series weekend. Um. That car probably makes about 500 horsepower, where the other cars are probably making 650 to 700. Yeah, and so, um, to see him come out and win was really, really cool. I like yeah. I like seeing an underdog win, and especially when he's tied with uh, Travis Braden and that team. It was painted up pretty similar to his car, so that's pretty cool. I liked seeing it. Well, and what that also says a lot about is how much that track slowed down and slicked off with all the rubber buildup over the week, with having no rainouts and no no chances for the track to be green again. It slowed down a lot. Well, I'm glad that we aren't the only ones up here that complain about the Tormod rubber. Everybody down there was whining about the Tormod rubber because us up here, we know all about it. You lose yep. lateral, you use, you lose all side bite and all lateral grip when you run on that rubber because it's so greasy. Those guys were fighting their cars after they went on that track after that rubber hit the track. Bad... <laughs> Bad times for them. But I'm glad they finally got a taste of what we have to deal with. So Wee, track rubber. Wee. <laughs> hey, I can complain all I want. Pass rubber's worse. Wee. Absolutely. <laughs> but after that, the pro late model race went to Jet Noland. Uh, and that was the end of night number six. Night number seven, super late models went to Brad May again. That was his second win of the week. Uh, tour mods. Patrick Emmerling picked up a win. 
Uh, I believe that's a brand new Troyer TA4 chassis that they debuted this week. Um, Florida Mods again went to Travis Eddy. And the Pro Late Models went to Jamie Skinner for his second win of the week, I think. Nope. Yes. Okay. I'm just trying to catch up on my notes here. Night number eight was headlined by the Tour Modified's Richie Evans 100 race. And this is where the point situation was really tight. I think it was within two points between Hirschman and Nocella. And Nocella was leading. And it ended really anticlimactically. Matt Hirschman ran away with the race. Nocella had uh, engine problems. And Matt Hirschman ended up winning and taking the Tour Modified title. Pro Late Models, Jamie Skinner wins again for the second night in a row, third of the week. And in the Truck Series, Devin McLeod won. Uh, I know I missed a couple of divisions probably up to this point. But, but they don't matter. <laughs> no, they I'm matter. But if you don't bring more than 10 cars, I'm not going to mention you because that's a heat race. Which means you don't matter. <laughs> On my podcast, you don't matter. For night number nine, the Super Late Models headline the night for the Orange Blossom 100, which Ty Majeski took down the win. It was his 100th Super Late Model win. I think he'd achieved that in five years. Um, and the night before, he was upside down in a truck at Daytona, riding on his lid all the way through the trioval and into turn one. That's not how you win a race. No, that's a really bad way to try. Um, Did we lose Phil? I think we lost Phil. No, I'm here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, let's see, where were we at here? So, yeah, Ty Majeski is the number one and number two iRacer in the world, I think. is that? I think that's true. It might be Oval Track, but it might be overall. I'm not sure. But it was really cool to see him get his 100th win. He'd been trying to get that for, I think, since October. But to get 100 wins in five years, that's pretty impressive. That's in, that's incredible. Uh, it shows you that he's not just an racer; He's a real racer. The kid, he's running, I think, full-time trucks for Nice Motorsports this year. I, I hope he does well. That team really, really blossomed with uh, um, Ross Chastain behind the wheel last year and really was a title contender, and they won a few races. So I, I wish the best to him. Um Florida Modifieds, Travis Eddy wrapped up the week with, I don't, I can't even count how many he's won. <laughs> it's like four or five. But he won again. Super Stocks brought over 10 cars, so I'll mention their winner. It was Mike Amato. And the trucks again uh, took to the track second night in a row. For, and their winner was Colt Hensley. So the champions for the week at New Smyrna, the super late model was Derek Griffith. It was nice to see a Northern boy come down and, and win the title for the super late models. That really puts them on notice that the Northern boys can race. <laughs> uh, Tour Modifieds, Matt Hirschman. Uh, again, he'd won the title this year. Um, I think he's closing in on Teddy Christopher's title uh, number. Uh, Pro late models, Jamie Skinner won a squeaker. I think he won by like two points. And uh, I didn't write down who he was up against, but... That was a really tight battle. Travis Eddy obviously ran away with the Florida Modifieds. Um, it was really, you know, the, the the big takeaways I saw were from the whole week was it was kind of upsetting that we'd hyped up Bubba Pollard being in a Modified for a few weeks, and then the guy goes out and unfortunately loses a motor and he can't run the car. And it was like, it was 
just ramping, ramping, ramping up, and then completely deflated. And that that kind of sucks. But I don't think it really detracted anything from the week. Um, Phil, I know you probably had a pretty fun time down there watching your car go around. Um, oh. I know it didn't end as well as you wanted, but I bet you it was a really yeah. great experience otherwise. Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I love New Smyrna Speedway, and I love the sportsman division. And now owning a car, I can't wait to drive it myself. But seeing Patrick... And, you know, especially everything we went through over the course of the weekend. I know you touched on it last week in the podcast, but. Oh, he I've, listened. I've never, <laughs> I've never worked so hard and, and faced so much. Uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. I guess turmoil in, in a racing weekend and still had a smile on my face and had fun. You know, and, and that's what it's all about to me in it was cool to see how many people just kind of bonded together. And I also kind of give, got to give a shout out to Jason Ferreira. He drives the number 24 pro truck up here and he, he traveled down with, uh, I forget his name, Lucas. He drives Lucas the number one truck. Yeah. He, Jason had uh, probably, I would say a worse time than, than my group even did because he got out there. He was all ready. He's been, hyping up his trip for, for weeks on social media, drove all the way down, didn't get a lap in practice. He blew up the transmission and the drive shaft in the rear end. Pretty similar to what we did. Um, and then he, he didn't make qualifying because they found a broken transmission then. Uh, I guess they just, it, it cracked the housing and they missed it when they were hurrying to put the new rear end in the drive shaft in. And then the next day they, they, found a transmission and they got that all squared away and they they got out there for uh practice and the thing wouldn't go into gear and they just they finally just had to throw in the towel i mean he's a trooper for for all he went through he was always super positive on social media about it and and he said he'll be back so yeah i don't know if he listens to the podcast and i'm glad you shouted him out because i was gonna do it um i know that the last time i won a race he won some money so yeah jason that's a killer effort. Um, don't let it get you down. I know breaking parts sucks and spending a lot of money and a lot of time sucks, but it's all part of the experience sometimes. And you know, sometimes you're you know you're the winner. Sometimes you're the loser. Sometimes you're the bug. Sometimes you're the windshield. So it happens in racing a lot. And chin up, you'll find another place to race. It'll be good. Any more thoughts? Phil, your new car looks weird. <laughs> It looks like a doorstop. Oh, we that's lost Phil. That's the way they should look. <laughs> oh, it looks it looks like a lot of fun though. I'd really love to try one. I wish they had something they're, like that up here. They're, they're cool cars. It's a straight rail car with a quick change rear end, uh, five on five hubs, uh, stock geometry, Camaro snout, and a six hundred two with headers. It's really nothing super crazy. I bought that car fairly affordable. I'm not gonna say the price because uh my, my buddy patrick there probably wouldn't want to let everybody know how much uh yeah you just don't want people to know how know cheap how you are phil <laughs> i am pretty cheap but. affordability is relative yeah no kidding we need a kitchen <laughs> goodbye race car. I, I will say i bought that car cheaper than than anything that i could have ever bought up here yeah Street keep bragging included. yeah 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 <laughs> All right, let's close this thing out. So that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you to my wife, Megan, for 
sitting in. I was going to say something else, but like, thank what you for you going to say for finally changing your name after six years. But that's kind of mean. No, that's accurate. <laughs> it's, Although it's I, absolutely, I, accuse, I don't need it. It's not a big deal. I'm I accuse just Phil of being a cheapskate, but how cheap am I? I didn't change my name for six years because I had just renewed my driver's license when we got married, and I didn't feel like paying seventy-five dollars to renew it again. Well, that's just, just to change frugal. My name. That's just being frugal. That's being cheap. No, it's being frugal. You know, it's like I got a perfectly good license here. Why would I need a new one? Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what I would say. That's why I kind of rolled with it. Also, if you saw my new <laughs> license, you'd cry as much as I did in the car. Oh, you don't look that bad. It's awful. Everyone says that. It's the worst Everyone ever. Nobody's says, license picture looks good. Jesus I look like Christ, the Stay Phil, Puft Marshmallow you Man. <laughs> you should see my new permit photo. I look like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with double chin. Yeah, but Stay Puft is cute. No, he's, he's not. He's freaking evil. He's evil, but he's cute. Oh, well, I mean, I guess I mean, it's a redeeming you see his quality. Face? You honestly, as a mom, I feel bad for him when they fry him and he gets that sad face and he's just like, oh no, they're killing him. There is no God, only Zool. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Are you a God? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to wrap this thing up. All right. So Phil, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can get me at P Jake's Racing on Facebook. Twitter, Instagram, uh, maybe even Snapchat if you care. Snap what? Snapchat. Are you trying what? to find? He can. He's got a premium account. Go, go, follow what? him for his premium photos. <laughs> Dear, uh, what can we find you at? I know you got a couple businesses you like to plug or Instagram yeah, or whatever. Sure. If you I'll, want, I'll go ahead. I'll plug everything. So I'm not a racer, and it's my podcast. You can do what you want. Yeah, what the hell? I, I post <laughs> mostly just stuff about our life and probably unflattering shots of Brent and Megan McGorry on Instagram. I didn't put a Gleason on there because nobody knows who the hell Megan Gleason is, but everybody knows who Megan McGorry is. If not, they better. So you could just put it in a tagline. I think I already do. Fair enough. To be fair, yeah. And I work as a photographer. That's actually what I should be doing right now is going through photos from my last shoot. So you can find me at SmugMug, MeganMcGorry.SmugMug.com. And I don't particularly like shooting weddings, so don't <laughs> ask me. But I do corporate stuff, so yeah. All right, you can find me at BrentGleason01 on Instagram and Twitter. You can find this show at Making Laps Podcast on Instagram. Facebook.com slash Making Laps Podcast. Uh, uh, Twitter hasn't fixed us, our stuff yet. What's the um, matter with Twitter? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not good at it. Although I'm on there more than anything else on my yeah, personal really? account. Yeah, really? What the Anyway, um, <laughs> you can find the links to all the playing platforms on GleasonBrosRacing.com. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and our hosting platform, Anchor Podcasts. Thank you all so much for listening. Please forgive us for being a day late but uh, let's let's be honest we were waiting for the news to come out and i think it was very pertinent and we definitely went over our normal time but hey if you like the podcast you'll listen to it all the way through give us a like share subscribe please help us out on the social media platforms because the algorithms are garbage when we try to promote this thing so give us a like on facebook whenever you see a post come up share it dude Comment, give us feedback, just anything that you can. I feel like I got to mention that person that was on Facebook for the last we podcast. We already did. Oh, man. <laughs> Jesse, oh, Jesse lit them up already, oh, so listen to good. the last episode. I thought I did. I'm sure you did. But anyway, thank you all for tuning in. See you next week. Keep the dirty side down and stay out of the fence. <laughs>